Welcome to Healing the Tigress, a podcast of stories and conversations on Asian American Pacific Islander maternal mental health. We are your hosts, Peggy, a licensed clinical social worker and certified breastfeeding peer counselor. And Jasmine, a clinical pharmacist with a perinatal mental health certification. Both of us are Taiwanese American mothers and survivors of postpartum depression and anxiety. We don't know about you, but we didn't grow up talking much about mental health in our families, and we want to change that now that we are mothers. Together, with our clinical backgrounds and passion on the subject, we want to create a safe space for the AAPI community to discuss perinatal mental health issues. And together, we want to break generational cycles in our own parenting journeys so that we can heal our inner tigress, a nod to the tiger moms before us. We are so happy you're tuning in here. Let's get started. Welcome back to Healing the Tigress. Today, we're going to talk with a guest you may know from her outspokenness about a topic that has been near and dear to our hearts for quite some time, being one and done. Peggy and I have often had conversations about this decision and choice, sitting on the fence, wondering if we could or if we even wanted to have another child after our experiences in motherhood. More and more these days, we are finding the discussion about single children to be quite the heated debate, so we knew we wanted to give attention to this topic and how it related to maternal mental health as well. So today, we are thrilled to have Shannon Ang with us on the podcast, who some of you may know better as Cali Girl Gets Fit or her newer account that she just started, Only Not Lonely Kids. Shannon is an only child herself, as well as a mom to an only child, and she is also a fitness nutrition specialist and a Pilates instructor. But I will let Shannon introduce herself to our listeners more and share with us her cultural background, as well as her journey into motherhood. So thank you, Shannon. Welcome. Hi, Jasmine and Peggy. Thank you so much for having me here. This has been um, so eagerly anticipated, so it's great to be here. Um, I can't wait to share a little bit more with all of the listeners out there about my journey and about my story. Um, So I guess I'll just dive right into it. Yeah. Um, I am actually, I'm both third and fourth generation uh, Chinese American. Um, My grandmother was actually born here and my grandpa came over when he was very young. And so my family has actually been here for quite a long time. Um, But I was reflecting recently about values and, you know, being part of the Asian community. And I feel like the values in our family are still very much Asian and rooted in the history, Mm -hmm. even though, you know, many aspects of the culture we've assimilated and, um, you know, we've basically just been here for so long. But um, it's yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long time that we've been here. So, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about yeah your journey into parenthood? Well, um, I always thought that I would have a lot of kids when I was younger, growing up. Um, I thought I would have ten kids. I remember I remember being little and thinking, oh, I love kids. You know, I I would love to have a lot of kids. This was, you know, probably I was like, you know, middle schoolish, right? And so as I get older, then I realized, okay, well, it's not that easy just to have a whole bunch of kids. (laughs) There's a process involved, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I spent a lot of time finding the right person and going through lots of, you know, relationships and not really ever finding the person that I wanted to have a family with. And so by the time I was ready, you know, I was in my 30s already. um, And I was like, okay, you know, 
we're going to try. And um, I thought it wouldn't be that hard until it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had several repeated miscarriages. Um, it took, you know, a long time for me to really grasp and get my head around that because, you know, you don't really think about that mm-hmm. when you're first thinking about becoming a mother, right? Mm-hmm. You think, oh, you know, you see what you see on TV and, you know, it's, it seems so easy and you just have a child. But for me, um, you know, it wasn't always that easy. So yeah. I think that, I think that really kind of led to my decision later on in wanting to just have one child. Okay. So prior to having children, you actually didn't think that you were planning on having just a single child. No, not at all. And I actually didn't really know how many kids I wanted at the time, but I wasn't really planning to say, I'm going to stop at one, you know, in the very beginning of my journey. Yeah. So those miscarriages that you experienced, and I'm really sorry that that happened, seems like that really impacted maybe your mental health and your decision down the line? Yeah, it really did. Um, I didn't really feel like I ever got to fully enjoy being pregnant. Um, It was always worrying about, you know, well, preparing myself for, you know, what if something bad happens or kind of checking to see. I used to, there was this website I used to always go on, which would tell you the probability of having a miscarriage based on how far along you were. And I remember like obsessively, like every day I would go, okay, that's probability, you know, is this much. And then the probability went down a little bit as the pregnancy went along. And then um, I remember even when the pregnancy was very low or the probability was very low, like, you know, later on, even in my like third trimester, I was still like reading about, okay, like what if you have a still stillborn child, like what would it be like just to prepare myself? Because I thought I was so unprepared for the miscarriages from before um, that I wanted to be fully prepared for anything that could possibly happen. And so I think that fear, anxiety, you know, that really impacted my mental health. And I wasn't really fully able to embrace being pregnant. I think people don't recognize sometimes the the traumatizing impact of miscarriages. It's like if you have repeatedly had a family member die in your life, like over and over again, how traumatizing Mm -hmm. that is. And so many people kind of minimize that impact of a miscarriage and how it, it just painted your whole pregnancy situation. Cause you're like, what if, what if. Yeah. Kind of sets up that anxiety. Yeah. Like the first time I remember, um, the doctor that I went to, um, you know, I had, the first, the very first miscarriage after it was all said and done, you know, we knew what was happening and that the pregnancy wasn't going to go forward. He was so nonchalant about it and was like, well, you can have a glass of wine now, you know, it's, it's over. And I just was like numb. Like I didn't really know how to respond to that. Like, I just think I like nervously laughed and said, you know, okay. You know, like just, I didn't know what to do. Oh my God. Um, I got a new doctor after that. (laughs) Yeah. And so I feel like society minimizes it so much, especially if it's very early on. So the first one was very early on. Um, The second one, I was sort of not expecting it again because I got past that very early on stage. And so it was like the probability was less. And so I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, everything's going to be okay. And then one day I went in for a checkup and they told me, you know, there's no heartbeat anymore, even though we saw one before. And so that 
I feel was like the the second like punch in the gut, you know what I mean? Like just to say like you thought it was going to be okay and now it's not. So I think that's why I I just had in my mind like, oh, it's okay. I have to just be so like worried all the time. Mm, and yeah. so, yeah, it's hard. Those losses seem to sort of like probably set you up for anxiety in a way that you, you had mm-hmm. to sort of always be on guard, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of mentioned, you know, prioritizing your mental health and well-being over having more children. So did after you had your child, did you suffer from any known postpartum depression or other perinatal mood and anxiety disorders that sort of carried over um, after the birth? So I didn't formally ever get diagnosed with anything after mm-hmm. the birth, um, but it was sort of a weird time because it was right before COVID started. So, you know, mm. my baby was born right before lockdown. Mm. And so everything was really unknown. And I feel like even if I wanted to get diagnosed or, you know, see somebody, like people weren't taking new patients, like people were telling you not to come into the doctor to see the hospital. Like I remember even my follow-up appointment um, after having a C-section, which I feel like is a major surgery, was like through a video chat. Mm. And it was like, you know, are you okay? How do you feel? Can you show me like a <laughs> scar through the video chat? <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Um, it was just such a weird time and I just felt so unsupported. Yeah. Um, you know, n- nobody came to check on me and then everything was locked down. So nobody visited, nobody came to see the baby, you know, it was just like feeling like you're on an island um, with nobody there. Yeah. And I think we've heard some of our other guests also say how like lonely and how just sort of isolated, like you were saying, like during the pandemic, because people just weren't sure. Mm -hmm. And that's so strange to me, like uh, even your OB, like follow-up visit, the one visit that you get right? Right. They can't even see you in person to like check or feel or like, you know, look. And that just seems so weird to me to do that over the phone. I, I think actually I had another friend that told me the same thing. And I was like, what? Like you had a C-section and your doctor just did a video visit with you? Like it's like a major abdominal surgery. <laughs> it's like yeah. anything else that you need yeah. to check on. It's already like insufficient as it is, I think, just to have that one six-week visit and then just to sort of like brush that off. That sucks. I'm so sorry that that timeline worked out like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The funny thing was that like for the baby, the baby got to come in to get visits. Mm. So for like all the well checks, that was in person still. But, you know, they don't, they never care about the mom. It's like, you know, you're, you gave birth, you're, you're, you can go away now. Yeah. It's like they discard you. The way it is. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Jasmine and I have been talking about this a lot lately, just the discrepancy between the care for the mother child dyad after birth. And like you said, you get to bring the baby in person, but you were like major abdominal surgery. Let's just have one video visit and, it just blows my mind, but also makes me wonder how much of this discarding of the mother after birth contributes to these postpartum mood disorders. Because all the right. systems are telling you you're not important and only your baby mm-hmm. is important. Like, it's no yeah. wonder there's so many mm-hmm. post like perinatal mood disorders. Like, we're told yeah. after you've brought this baby into the world, you're you're not important anymore. You're basically just a vessel. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. that's what it seems like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes me sad. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, so after, you know, you had your child, then I guess as you were becoming a new mother, it seems like you came to the decision that you only wanted one child. When, when did you sort of know or solidify that you might only want to have this one? I think it was that whole first year experience of motherhood that just made me decide I'm not doing this again. Um, I think my baby was also up a lot. So I remember like I was actually looking at our old sleep logs because we had this new bassinet and it gives you a little log of like, you know, how much did your baby sleep? And um, a cousin of mine just had a baby. So I was looking at our old sleep logs as we were chatting about it. And I rem- and I realized that even at around like five months or so, my baby was still only sleeping about two to three hours at a time. So I was still like waking up around the clock, um, nursing, you know, around the clock. And it was, it was a long time. Um, It was just a long time to just not be able to sleep. Yeah. (laughs) And I think a lot of people just kind of forget about the newborn stage and how, how tiring it is. And, um, but when you're doing it all by yourself, you you don't have a lot of support. um, You really feel like I'm not doing this again. So I think it was after a whole year of that. Around the one-year mark. Yeah, around the one-year mark. Probably like, oh, I finally made it to a year. Like, do I really think I want to yeah, go back and do right. that again? Right. And you kind of get your life back a little bit and you're like, I kind of want to keep it. Like, mm-hmm. I want to keep it like this. <laughs> yeah. I think sometimes it's like, I did it. I went through the birth. I went through the la- or I went through the pregnancy. I went through the labor. I went through those sleepless nights. Like, I made it. I have this beautiful child do I have to do this again? You know, like, and it's so hard. Yeah. And then I was thinking like, I don't, I don't have a lot of support if I had Mm -hmm. another one. Mm -hmm. I don't know who would be taking care of the other child. So then I'd have two of them and it would be like that again, but then plus, you know, a toddler, which I don't, I don't know. I don't know how people do it. They're the, the ones that can do it successfully amaze me, but I don't think I can. I think that's something you've also been sort of vocal about on social media is like the fact that like it seemed like the village never showed up for you. And part of it maybe was the mm-hmm. pandemic, like kept people away. But like do you mm-hmm. think – how do you think having support nearby really impacts a family's decision to expand or not? Well, I think it makes a huge difference. I mean just that little bit of time, even if you get a few hours every day to yourself, I think it makes a huge difference. Right. Especially as a new parent. And so if you don't have that support, I feel it's it's quite overwhelming just to think of the idea of having to do it again and realizing that you probably aren't going to get support again and going through that. Because I think that's also part of the mental thing, right, that leads to, you know, a lot of stress, um, you know, postpartum depression is realizing that like nobody showed up for you. And so I think reliving that and having nobody show up for you again, it really makes you remember how you felt at that time. And I, it's something that I really just don't want to go back to again. Yeah. yeah. I think I remember reading somewhere about just how much the modern nuclear family is just not sustainable. And when you say that it takes a village, yes, mm-hmm. it's a saying, but it's literally because back in the olden days, there literally was a village or a tribe or, you know, hunter-gatherer. It would be a bunch of maternal figures helping care for everybody's children in, a, in this, like, more collective society. And now in our more modern world where it's like we have our little nuclear family, we probably – some of us don't live that close to our extended family. And if we do, it's just really hard. Or you had mentioned before having children a little later in age where even if we had support from our parents or could have support, they're so much 
older. Mm -hmm. And so just trying to do motherhood in a modern society in a nuclear family without that village is really contributing to a lot of these mental health things that we're struggling with. And I I think it's hard. People tend to sort of stigmatize only children, saying that like, oh, they're going to be lonely or like they're going to be selfish or they're going to be spoiled. And I think like a lot of those things have actually been debunked. But I think that the culture of perpetuating that stereotype, whether it's through like media or just, you know, pass down these sort of ideas, um, it's it's kind of harming. I, I think that's kind of harmful to the narrative. And especially nowadays where it's so much harder to parent, um, I, I think it puts a lot of stress on parents to say like, oh no, I have to have like that nuclear four-person family at the minimum. Um, and you know, a lot of people say children are going to be, only children are going to be lonely. But, you know, obviously your new Instagram page is called Only Not Lonely. Um, so as an only child yourself, you know, you grew up as only child. Can you speak to the misconceptions about loneliness? Well, you know, I think people just have this perception of the sad little child in their room with a room full of toys and nobody interacting with them. And they um, they forget that there are so many other things that come into, you know, socialization and a person, you know, you know, seeing other people. And so, um, you know, as a child growing up, I was always around people. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have a lot of extended family. Um, We are actually planning this big family reunion. um, And we have like 75 people coming to it. I mean, it was like aunts and uncles and extended cousins and, you know, all, all of these family members. Yeah. That I would always see, you know, when I was growing up and um, I'm really close to some of my cousins. So, you know, there's other kids my age and then, you know, my parents are always there. And um, the interesting thing that people think is that, you know, the only children are just left to be alone all the time. Um, but I wasn't, you know, my mom was always there. She played with me. My dad, you know, was really interactive. So I always had adults. And then we had like neighborhood kids that I would always be playing with. You know, someone would always be coming over to the house or I would go like visit their house, you know. So there's this other like aspect of another side of the vibrant community that a lot of times people don't think about. And they think, well, the you know, a social interaction among kids needs to be contained in the in the house. Mm-hmm. But really, there's like a whole outside world that people don't think about. That's such a good point about like how, um, and as you were saying this, I was just thinking like, yeah, maybe people think that like, oh, I'm only supposed to be like in my house with my household alone, which further almost like isolates you in this society we're talking about, Peggy, like how like, you know, we, we've kind of disconnected our village because we think we need to be this like sole unit all on our own and and be self-sufficient mm-hmm. and independent so that we need to generate our own, you know, playmates or something like that. But you're right, Shannon, like there's other people all around you. There's classmates, there's playmates, there's neighbors, there's cousins. And, and I think almost like because you are an, a single child, it's like you you seek out more of your community too to like connect those to make those connections. It's almost like you have an excuse to invite people over to go out and do things, which might actually not be a bad thing. I think totally. And I think as being an only child, you know, I 
developed the ability to talk to anybody, like just to go, you know, to a party and to find people to talk to or find somebody with, you know, common interests or people to socialize with. And I actually noticed that a lot of people who had siblings or who had, you know, say if you have a couple brothers and sisters and you went to a party, sometimes they will just socialize among themselves or they'll kind of just play with each other instead of actually seek out other people to play with or to meet. So I think actually being an only child might make you even more social because you're kind of forced to step out of your comfort zone and meet new people. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And when you just said that about how like going to social gatherings, people would kind of stick with their siblings or whatever. I'm like, I was guilty of that. When I went to places and stuff, I would just kind of stick with my my sister and just hang out, you know, until I felt comfortable enough to like step out to maybe talk to somebody. Um, but you're right. Like you, you're kind of, um, you're, you're kind of made to um, – seek out other social connections and try, um, which is not like a bad thing, I think. So, you know, the other thing to me is that like, I wonder if this also plays a factor on like our pressures to have more children is that it seems like a lot of the older Asian generations highly value having many children. And this, I don't know if this is different for you because your family has been here for many generations already. So, um, oh, not but- at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, despite not being second generation Asian, like, do you, do you ever feel like there was pressure from your family to have more kids? Yeah, definitely. Like, I remember, I don't know, my, my son was maybe like two, around two ish. And my mom was like, okay, so. You know, the next for the next one, I think you can should try to get a for girl. For the next one. And then you can have <laughs> Just so easy. the next child. And I was like, why? It's like, choose a Pokemon. I want a girl now. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. And she was like, because I saved all of these things from your childhood, oh. so I need to give them to somebody. So, oh. like, have a girl. Oh, my gosh. And so I was just like, oh, okay, well, I don't know. You know, I, I, I might be kind of all done. And, you know, but I think – and even though my mom had me and I was an only child, her in her mind, she's like, still have more, you know, mm. um, which I find to be so funny. Um, and I hope I don't do that to my <laughs> child. I mean, remember not to do that. <laughs> you happen to know if she was one and done by choice or not by choice? You know, I actually don't know. And it's something that she's never really talked to me about. But I know that for her generation, she had me a little bit older. Like I think she was 32 or so when she had me. So she was on the older side, right? For for, for their generation. Yeah. But I feel like for their generation, Mm -hmm. it totally was right. Like everyone in their generation, I feel like had kids before 30. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not sure. And I've kind of been afraid to ask, but um, (laughs) she was like one of three. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she she had siblings, and um, I feel like she. If I jumped up and announced that I was pregnant today, she would be so excited about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I remember also my grandma was like, "You need to have more," but she's like, you know, the, the generation before that, right? So she was like, "You need to have more," you know. So like, you know, your child will have somebody to play with, and you know, what if something happens and, you know, you, somebody needs to take care of you, you know, kind of like things. So I feel like a lot of the older Asian generations think in terms of who's going to take care of me when I get older, mm-hmm. right? So if I have a lot of kids, out of all those kids, somebody's bound to take care of me. <laughs> or if something happens to somebody, someone will be left over to come and, you know, take care of me when I'm older. And uh, 
we don't really have that anymore. I feel like we're pretty self-sufficient, you know. It's like a cultural expectation, right? To You're expected yeah. to care for right. your elders. So they need to have an insurance policy. And if one of these <laughs> is not taking care of me, the other three might or something, right? Right. That's true. And and you're right. It is a little bit of a, you know, we we respect and take care of our elderly and that's sort of baked into our culture, right? Um, and But then at the same time, like – I, I think maybe their form of love is like I'm not putting um I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket and I'm not putting all the pressure on one person to take care of me um, because then that would be super expected of that one child. And at the same time, I think like I think about like how I hear stories of people who say, I have so many siblings and yet, I'm the one stuck taking care of my parents um, and that the other siblings have just not pulled their weight. Um, they're all across the country or they're all spread out and then I'm the closest one. So I end up being the default person taking care of my parents. So I don't necessarily think having siblings is an quote insurance policy or a guarantee that all that labor and division and work and care is spread out evenly amongst everyone. Um, so I mean, just kind of I think every family's different. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't guarantee what's going to happen, right? So it's right. it's a little bit um to say that like I'm gonna have these children for this purpose. I don't necessarily think that's like the reason you should have more children. Yeah, definitely not. My mom was one of seven and when my grandpa died it was like all fighting over who's gonna handle the stuff. It's like there's seven of you, someone decide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then it boils down to inheritance too, where it's like, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. How you just how do you split that up? Yeah, and everybody just I don't know. I feel like at least I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, that's true. And, and sometimes I think with the Asian culture, at least from my uh, what I've seen in families or my side that I've seen is that everything gets left to the boy. It doesn't matter if you are the mm-hmm. oldest or whatnot. There's another sort of like weight weighted heavily more towards favoring boys mm-hmm, as like right. the the Chinese culture has sort of been. And then that creates a lot of resentment and bitterness too, because a lot of times what I've seen is like, it's all the daughters that are taking care of their parents and yet all the inheritance and everything gets left to the son, which I think is then just you know, it, it becomes a different thing, mm-hmm. a different kind yeah. of battle, mm-hmm. right? And I think for the girls, the expectation is totally different, right? So, um, I feel I, I've seen in a lot of Chinese families, like the girls are expected to be more nurturing and to take care of the parents and to do all the things, and the boys are expected to go off and live their life and have their own family, and you know, not they're not expected to come back and you know be with the parents all the time. And I just think it's just a different expectation. And it just, you're right. It just makes it really hard. And one thing for Asian families, at least, and maybe just even generally, I feel like there's this feeling that people don't really see mental health as the reason, like as a valuable or viable reason for our choices. Like whether it's, you know, you're taking a day off or you're saying no to something or, you know, if if it comes to our bodies and our, our family size as women, it's like what what do you think you'd say to people who kind of dismiss mental health as a reason to be happily one and done? Well, I think for our, our um, generations, it's getting better in terms of us taking care of our mental health. Mm-hmm. But um, the other generations before us, not as quite as much. But, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So 
if you want to be the best parent to your children, if you want to be there for them and you're able to take care of all of their needs, both, you know, physically, mentally, the whole package, you have to be, you have to have your own mental health, right? You have to be mentally healthy yourself because you can't take care of somebody else in that way if you're not. And there are just so many people who neglect themselves. Um, I feel like sometimes mothers are judged, you know, if you put yourself last, Mm -hmm. You're a good mother, right? Mm. If you put everyone else's needs before you, you're you're doing a great job. You're so selfless. But on the other hand, there's just comes to a point where we break down. We can't do that forever. And um, when our mental health is neglected, other things happen where, you know, one day we just can't take it anymore. And then what would happen then, you know? So I really think it's important to address mental health before you get to that point and make sure that, you know, you're doing okay. The expectation for motherhood to be martyrdom is just so steeped in like our culture and society. But mm-hmm. what is a martyr? Someone who like dies for someone else. But like if we're not around, who's going to mother? So right. I think it's just so tough to juggle this like motherhood is a sacrifice. Motherhood is martyrdom. But in order to really be there for our children, we have to be there. We have to be there mentally, physically, emotionally. And I think maybe for some people, some of our listeners who maybe have two, three, four kids, maybe they are able to find that balance because of whatever supports they have. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone's unique mental health is unique to them. Maybe for some people, it's like in order for me to be the best mom I can be, I have to choose to only have one child. I do not have the mental capacity to do this again, or I do not have the mental capacity or the resources to go through, you know, newborn stage again. And for some other folks, maybe they can. Maybe for some other Mm -hmm. folks, they're like, I can definitely do this with two, but I could not do this with three. And Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing to also honor is that one person's mental health looks so different than others. And and I think that's what sometimes I feel like someone and done folks struggle with. Like, what what does that say about me that I can't – do this again, but my other friends can. And it's like, no, your mental health needs are unique to you. And that doesn't make you weaker or lesser than or anything. It's like you are putting forth what is going to take care of you. And I think that needs to be honored. And everyone's journey is different, but I think that needs to be honored. I agree. Yeah. I remember on one of my posts, I posted about, you know, mental health and reasons for being one and done. And when somebody in the comments was like, you must be doing something wrong. Oh you know, you're just not doing it right. It's you that's failing because I'm able to have, you know, I my, I have my mental health and I have Ugh. four kids and we're all doing great. And so um, I just kind of took a mm. step back from that to think, well, that's, that's amazing. I'm very happy for that person that they are able to do all that. But we also don't know what supports they have in place, right? We don't know what their family looks like, their family structure, like maybe they have more outside help or they have a, a village to help them. Maybe financially they're able to, to afford more resources so they can hire help. So the picture of everybody's family looks so different, like you said, Peggy, and I think um, we just need to respect and honor, you know, everybody's wishes and needs and, you know, what they feel is right for their family. And not everyone had yeah. the same experience with their first, like for for you to be like, oh my gosh, my baby's still waking up or, hey, I spent all my pregnancy wondering what is the chance that I'm actually going to get to see this baby and how much that plays into it. And people don't put those factors in. They just think, okay, go make me a girl now, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. there's so much that plays into it. 
I think we need to stop playing the comparison mm-hmm, game mm-hmm. that like, oh, just because I can do it, you should be able to do it too, right? Like you said, their struct- family structure is different. They might have more financial support and resources. And the other thing that we don't talk about is also like, how easy is it for you to get pregnant? Fertility mm. issues, right? Like, great, you have four kids. Somebody might be struggling even to just have one, even to just conceive mm-hmm. one child. And so the pain of that, um, I think, you know, we, we really need to respect, like you say, that everybody is kind of different and not to sort of like shame or like devalue somebody else's experience. So th- there's this other thing I sometimes think about that, you know, Peggy was talking about knowing like your limits or your capacity and knowing that like at this point, I think this is it and I'm done and I'm happy and we're good. But I think knowing when to stop sometimes is a lot harder um, when we sort of always envisioned or see that this is what is quote normal around us. So to actively actually pull back and hold back and not do something to see that as like your quote more it's it's really hard because people just want to actually physically see more that you're doing more society has like this huge pressure on doing more and more and more but sometimes less is more like and that people just can't actually see it because they don't they don't see the things you're doing when you don't physically see something there and and I, i always think that like it's easier sort of to regret an idea than to actually regret an actual human being. Like no parent is actually going to come right out and say, I regret having a second child. Nobody's going to come and like admit that, right? Um, Because that's just so taboo as well. Like you you can't say that. Once you have it, it's your responsibility. Like you have to keep going, right? But, um, you know, then on the flip side, I feel like we can't, then we can't shame the people who like actively made that choice to say, I think that like, I don't want to, I don't want to create another human being and feel like I can't give them my all. So that's just kind of my my take on it. Well, it's interesting because I came across some Reddit forums where people like write in anonymously, right? And people on there are like, I regret having a child, like one of my children or, you know, I regret, but they won't tell you in person, right? They won't tell somebody they know or they won't say it out loud to, you know, unless they're anonymous. But there are people out there who I feel do regret having, you know, a child for whatever reason it might be. And I feel like, you know, there's nothing wrong with that because that's that's how you feel, Mm -hmm. right? That I'm not shaming them for feeling that way. But on the other hand, like, if I know that I might potentially have that regret, like, I just wouldn't want to go down that road. Yeah, I think that's a good point to make. Um, You're not going to tell – you can't let your child hear that, that you say that. And so I think um, for some of us that like have sort of had a really difficult experience, um, if you went through some sort of postpartum depression or anxiety and you're trying to make this decision, it can be kind of hard to think like, am I going to have to relive this again? Because, you know, statistics do show at least, you know, if you've had it once, 50% chance you're probably going to get it again. It's pretty likely you could get it again. Mm -hmm. And my therapist, like I've, I've, gone into like deep therapy thinking about if I want another child is always like, well, but you're coming from experience the second time around. And yes, that is true. I'm coming from experience. But the other part is like, I still physically have to do all of this again. I physically have to do the sleep deprivation, you know, the the nursing, if I'm planning to do that again, um, the getting up. And then on top of that, I have another child I have to take care of 
who I will feel like I'm being split, like I can't give my attention to that child. So, um, you know, just for me, like what I've kind of come down to is that like, I don't think I physically want to do that again. <laughs> like, I don't know if I could physically put myself there to live through that again because people will tell you, oh, you can do it again. Like, you know, you you won't get it again or like now you know better, but they're not the ones living through it. It's still you. It comes down to you. Right. And just because you can, you have the potential to do it doesn't necessarily mean you should. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's it. It's funny. There, there's a saying that we say all the time at work, like, yeah. you have the skill but not the will. <laughs> like, I, I could do it again, <laughs> but I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> like, just because I can doesn't mean right. I want to. And you're right. At the end of the day, no one was in your shoes yeah. those sleepless nights. You know, no one would except for you. Like the pe- And especially the people who kind of like ask well, are you going to be there to wake up and feed my baby? Like, why are you asking? <laughs> exactly. Even if they were, I don't. I still don't think I would want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's another thing too, I think, with people who have anxiety and stuff too, there's a sense of like locus of control, mm. right? Even if like I had help. Mm-hmm. Now I have another factor, like for me at least, it's like, well, then I'm going to have to vet somebody to be able to take care of my baby that's outside of me. So there's extra things you have to set into place. Um, wondering like, you know, if you have the support and like, is this good enough? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. Just my sort of own anxious thoughts is like, I still have to find somebody that I can accept as being somebody that can take care of my baby and help me out to, you know, I guess my satisfaction as well. We have these anxious moms, mm-hmm. you know, you're always like wondering like, Oh, I don't, I don't even want anyone else touching my baby at this yeah. point. And there's another concept that I've heard of more that like nowadays, and maybe not just nowadays, but there's this sort of other concept that people think double or nothing. Like it's better to have two kids or none at all, like than than to just have one child because you're having, you're depriving, quote, your child of the experience of a sibling. So if you're going to have a child, either you have two or you have like none at all. What do you think about that concept? Well, I think these are the people, again, that think it's so bad to be an only child. <laughs> yeah. Just be, think you're going to be so lonely, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually, you know, it's it's not, it's not <laughs> bad. <laughs> it's really not. And I think to, to, to deprive somebody of motherhood just because you only want one and you don't want two, like that's, it just seems so silly. Yeah. It's like saying, well, if you're not going to buy two cars, you shouldn't have any cars, so then you just have to walk. Like, it just doesn't make sense. That's such right? a good analogy. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my God. So, I mean, I just think about it like I just don't even know where these people come up with this. And it's not – like I said, it's not even that yeah. bad. Yeah. And um, growing up, you know, being an only child, I was – I'm actually a pretty introverted person, so I actually really liked it. Mm-hmm. You know, like being able to go out there – and socialize and see people but then I had my own little like room where I can just come home and it would be quiet yeah and I can just kind of be by myself you know and they did all these studies on people even if you're not an only child but you spend time by yourself Mm -hmm. you know you spend time alone Mm -hmm. it actually makes you you know it just changes you for the better you know you are able to unleash your own creativity you get great ideas when you're alone and I actually read in an article that um, you become more empathetic when you're by yourself because if you're always with people, you're not really thinking about others' feelings that much because you're like, you know, socializing and you're kind of in the moment. But 
if you're by yourself, you have kind of more time to think, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you can reflect. And so I think it's those reflections that actually sometimes give us more empathy. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying, and I, and I get it, like, even if you're not an only child, having the alone time is really important, right? So. Totally. Yeah. I love that you're able to also speak with this authority of like, I'm an only child. I came out just fine. Like, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're we're all a little, I mean, we're here because we're all needing healing, right? (laughs) But but you know what I mean? That it's like, oh, they're demonizing this only child idea that it's like, like we're all some sort, like people who are only children are X, Y, and Z. And you you being able to say like, I grew up as another child. Nobody has a perfect childhood, but here I am. I've got all my arms and limbs and stuff, right? Like, I make wise decisions. I take care of my child, right? Like, and I think, I think, you know, sometimes like I wasn't an only child. And so then I always, always grapple and wrestle, but also recognizing like, well, even having a sibling wasn't perfect. I, I don't have a best friend in my Mm -hmm. sibling, you know what I mean? And it's like Mm -hmm. the things that people say to be like, but you should, these are the benefits of getting, giving your child a sibling. And like, I can see some of them, but I also can see a lot of those things, like you said before, you're going to get those same type of life lessons, interacting with cousins, interacting with neighbors, interacting with other children. It's not like an only child is doomed to a life of like psychopathic whatever, like they're not around the world. And it's just so, I, I would be really curious to dig like, where, where do these myths come from? Like who invented them? Actually, I think, and I can't, I don't know the study or whatever off the top of my head, but I do recall like listening to something before saying that like there was at one point in history where somebody kind of came up with that notion or in order to push for people to have more kids, they started to sort of put out this quote propaganda that like, oh, you can't just have one child. It's not healthy for your kid. And to increase like the population Mm. or like make people have more babies or have a bigger workforce or for some reason – they pushed for people to have more kids. And so that's sort of like the general conception sort of how I was born. And the other thing too is that like I feel like with capitalism, it's like it's like having more benefits, the capitalistic society, right? They want you to push you for more so you can spend more money. You can like, you know, invest more and like all these things, right? So it is actually like maybe a societal driven kind of thing, like a, like a certain like advantage for you to have more kids, right? So maybe that's where it sort of came from, where they started demonizing the only child. But studies have shown now that like, you know, there's nothing like only kids are not more selfish, not more, you know, whatever, all those things like stereotypes that you kind of put out there. I actually kind of feel like a lot of only children I know like as my friends um, and the only children I see now growing up, a lot of them are actually quite generous Mm -hmm. because they have all their needs met at home. They don't feel like they constantly have to fight or compete for things because they always feel like their needs are being met. And so I actually see a lot of them being quite like generous to share with their friends. Mm -hmm. They're not going to like take the last piece or they're going to offer the last piece of something to somebody else, which I've actually seen my own daughter Mm do. So, and this is, I don't want to like, people to feel like oh no I should have had only or like you know I like I feel like just everyone needs to do what's like best for them but I think the purpose of this discussion is because only children are so like stereotyped that we're trying to like make people see that like it's not so bad and like there's nothing wrong with it like you said Shannon like I mean I think it's amazing when people have big families I love seeing big families like big happy families that, you know, are all gathering at the table or, you know, doing things that big families do. Um, but, you know, I, I always think back to myself, too. Also, if we were, like, 
back in the day where we had to be rural farmers. <laughs> and if I had only one child, my farm would probably fail. Mm -hmm. And everybody would tell me like, yeah, you have to have more kids because, you know, who's going to be like harvesting the crops yeah. and, you know, weeding the garden and doing all the stuff, right? But we're not there anymore. We've progressed mm -hmm. and we've evolved from that. And so um, I think in a modern society, it's okay. I also think if there's any generation that could – pump out, not pump out, sorry, but like <laughs> really great only children. It's this generation. Like you hear so much about how millennial parents are parenting so different than our previous generations. And I think that, you know, we've been talking so much about the the mom's mental health when it comes to only children, but we're also a generation that really cares about our child's mental health. And I think mm -hmm. these stereotypes of the, you know, selfish spoiled only child, I, I highly doubt that's going to happen in this generation of children that are only children because vastly different parents who are much more aware of their mental health, of what, you know, a child really needs and being able to balance those things. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely come a long way. I think only children are not all the kids this generation are, are taught to be more empathetic, more kind, more generous, like, you know, so it's just our parenting generation right in general and boundaries a big thing for us right so boundaries mm -hmm. yeah um, teaching our kids boundaries and then also modeling those boundaries ourselves by being able to say no i'm not having any more kids mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yeah I, I think one thing that like i get a lot of or hear or this sort of guilt and pressure is that like um there's no one to share the caretaking burden or grieving with when your parents pass and they kind of worry about that for their child that like, oh no, if I don't give my child a sibling, then they're not going to have somebody to like, you know, commiserate with when I'm gone or something like that. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. It's such a grim thing to think about, but I know it's, you know, for, for a lot of people, it's like, it's a thing, I guess, but you know, I never really thought about it until a lot of people on social media started leaving comments like, who's going to take care like, of you when you die? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm not planning to die anytime yeah. soon. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't even grow my mind. I don't know why that's the first thing sometimes people come to, like, to talk about is that, like, oh, but then, like, what are you going to do when you're old? Or, like, what are you going to do when you're dead? And, like, you're, what are your kids going to do? What are you going to do like, when you're dead? It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Your kids are going to be adults. Your kid yeah. is your kid's going to be an adult yeah. at that point. Yeah. They're yeah. going to have a family. Yeah. They're going to have mm -hmm. people around them. Like they'll figure it out, yeah. you know? Yeah, and like so, you know, our kids will probably they'll, they'll have yeah, a family or, you know, a partner or somebody, right? As they get older and they become part of your family too. And I would hope that I have a good relationship with that person, right? whoever their there's their you know yeah. husband or wife or whoever they choose as a partner and um then they're you know and their their kids they become part of your family right so they wouldn't really be all alone right. just you know i don't know visiting your grave every day or something i don't know it's so grim i don't even want to think about it <laughs> but um yeah yeah <laughs> I think one thing too is, again, having a sibling doesn't guarantee that you're going to have someone to lean on when your parents die. Yeah. Like, again, it's like the whole yeah. thing where, it's like, oh, give your, giving your child a sibling gives them a best friend. And it's like, that's not always true. That's not true at yeah. all. And I, I know plenty of people who, when their parents died, it just caused a riff. Like, my, my mom is a great example. 
one of seven. And when my grandfather died, she no longer talks to like a huge chunk of her siblings. And it just caused a lot of drama. And there was nobody really to lean on. And and I think, again, we, we can't be like, siblings are an insurance policy that your child will not be lonely in whatever aspect of life, whether you're dead or whatever, it, it doesn't ensure that. And who's to say the cousin can't be there for you or another mm-hmm. friend. You're, you're, even if your child doesn't get married and have kids, they'll have friends. And, and yeah. even if they, worst case scenario, even if they don't have friends, <laughs> forbid this happens. The whole point of parenthood is to eventually have your child be independent and not need you. And so when you're not on this earth anymore, they will have become a full-grown human adult that has other coping skills and resources available to them that isn't going to be made better because they had a sibling. I mean, those are my two cents. I don't think about this very often, like what's going to happen when I die? Because I'm also like, when I'm dead, I'm dead and I can't do anything anyway. My hope is that we raise our children in a way that – they don't – when we're gone, they will be fine, right? You want to raise your child in a way that when we're not around, they are fine and they are independent and have skills and has life. By then, hopefully, they're much older. Hopefully, we love long, long lives and they're much older mm-hmm. to be in a place where they have – you know, I have this whole life of my parent raising me to be a person who can handle anything, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, with the state of the world these days, I'm kind of like, I don't really know if I want to bring another child into this world to like let them see all the craziness that is, you know, whatever's going on and and climate change. And like, I'm just like, I'm glad I'm not going to be alive like for all of this in like mm-hmm. before the earth implodes basically. I'm like I don't think we I don't think mother earth needs more human beings on this planet. So I I'm, I've done my my fair share. But anyways, thank you for for sharing all this stuff with us Shannon and where can people find you or where should people find you if they want to learn more about you or hear more about um what, you know, your pearls of wisdom about being an only child or having an only child. Well, um, I just started the new account, Only Not Lonely Kids, um, being an only child that's not lonely. Um, so that's where you can find all of my posts about being an only child, um, some tips on you know raising an only child, and a little bit more about me. Um, I still have Cali Girl Gets Fit, so um, and I occasionally post on there, you know, um, about postpartum recovery, diastasis recti, mm-hmm. exercises, and things like that. So um, you can find me there as well. Great. Thank you so much. Um, And, you know, we always like to end our episodes with sort of wrapping up and talking about maybe what we might want to do for our mental health this week um, as a form of like, you know, giving our listeners maybe some ideas that they can do for themselves. So we'll kind of go around if anyone has something they want to share about what they might want to do for their mental health this week or what they have already done maybe this week. I'll go first. Uh, I think I have maybe something off the top of my head, but uh, I noticed that um, when I don't drink enough water, I tend to get more headaches. And so this week, I actually noticed um, a few times I was like, "Man, like, why, why am I, why is my head so like, t- like my neck so tight?" And like, then I realized, like, "Oh my gosh, I've actually like not picked up my water bottle." And some of it is like 
because I had like a cup of tea. And so I finished the uh, cup of tea, but I didn't go back and grab more water. So I need to be more conscious of like keeping my water bottle around me. Um, and I think water definitely like one of those things where people say like, oh, if, if you're like, you know, not in a good mood or you're not feeling well, you have to think about like, check yourself. Are you, are you hydrated? Are you rested? You know, like all those things. So for me this week, I think I have to be a little bit more conscious and worry about my water intake. <laughs> That's a good one because I was I've been sipping water this whole time. <laughs> I know I'm like, oh, I'm I'm like recovering from a cold, so I have to do it. I I was like uh, you and not drinking enough water, and then I, I I like cough, so it's like a reminder, like drink water. Yeah, no, same here. I was gonna say the water one. That's so funny that you started oh. with that one, but I actually have a second one that I can do or say. One thing okay. that I have been really trying to work on more is like trusting my own intuition and my own gut, and not necessarily needing to get like make decisions and ask input from so many people to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And so I think this like past week, I was really kind of like wrestling with something and being like, oh man, I don't know, like I need to make this decision. I wonder if I can squeeze in a last minute appointment with my therapist. And I managed to mm -hmm. do that, but I actually practiced trying to like process this decision in my mind actually before seeing my therapist. And so by the time I saw her, I was like, I actually made my decision. And it mm -hmm. felt really good to be like, you know, I need to really practice not looking outside of me when it comes to, you know, maybe hard life decisions or it wasn't even like a giant life decision, but just like decisions mm -hmm. I need to make or whatnot. And being able to feel confident and like trusting myself and learning to trust myself more and finding the answers inside myself, which is a good sign of a good therapist is she's not going to tell me what I need to do. She's going to guide me to find it in myself anyway, but to be able to do that without being like, and I need that external validation to make sure I made the right choice. And so that was a nice little practice I did this week. I really love you said that right now because this whole episode, I feel uh -huh. like with the one and done choice. <laughs> yeah. I felt like myself – when you were saying that, I was like, shoot. Like for a while, I felt like I was seeking a lot of external validation mm. and my therapist would be like, okay, like all these reasons you're telling me, it's like what would your husband think? What would your family mm. think? What would, you know, your friends think? And what about you? Like what do you really right. want inside? Right. And I had to like really pause and think, I don't know because I feel like – maybe I make a lot of decisions based on like if I get affirmation from somebody else and I really, really had to dig deep and, and take a while to really like say, Hey, this is like, this is my decision. And, and what is my decision like right. telling me or what is my gut telling me? So that's a great one for this episode. I know. <laughs> Cause if you think about it at the end of the day, who has to live with your decision, not the people who gave you input, you have to live with the decision. And so yeah. I think there's also just a lot of like people pleasing that comes into why we get used to seeking external validation for our choices. But at the end of the day, the decisions and choices you make are for you. I mean, maybe they impact other people, but certain decisions are your personal ones and impact you specifically and you have to live with them. And so that's why learning to find those answers inside, I think is so important. I'm going to have to try to do that. I'm so glad you brought that up. Hey. <laughs> I think for mine, um, it's just taking time for myself because that's something I just rarely do. And so I recently went to Costco and bought this warm heated blanket because it's been Ooh. freezing in California. I guess yeah. other people are going to be like, no, it's not that cold. But for us, you know, like <laughs> in the 50s, it's cold. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like freezing here. this morning. <laughs> so I think yeah. just taking a time like – when, when my son is sleeping, usually I'm like doing all the stuff, right? Trying to clean, trying to prep food, trying to, you know, do all these things. And so I take at least like 30 to 45 minutes out of my day just to sit with my, my warm blanket and, 
either like I meditate or, you know, I just think about my intentions for the week or if it's just something where I can just be alone with my own thoughts. I am trying to get a little bit more of that because sometimes when it's quiet and you don't hear other people, you can really, you know, think about, you know, what you want and what you what your intentions are and what makes you happy. And so I'm trying to do more of that. I always hear people say like, you know, that phrase, like, I can't hear myself think. Mm -hmm. And like, you never really understood that until you had kids. It's like, <laughs> the it's just like always loud, right? And it's like, really, I really actually can't hear myself think. Like, what do I need to do next? Because you're so overstimulated with noise. So that's mm -hmm. a good one. Yeah. Thank you so much, Shannon, for taking the time out of your day. I know you're so busy always, you know, with with your um, own schedule and your kid. And um, so we're really grateful we had this discussion and hopefully it helps another parent out there um, normalize. Um, maybe if, they, if they're stuck between decisions um, and, and just really kind of like hard to come to terms with it or whatnot, hopefully this helps somebody out there know that they're not alone. Um, and maybe if, if people have more than one kid, it helps them sort of understand where people who want only one kid are are coming from. There's so many reasons, right? Mm -hmm. um, but thank you for sharing your insights with us. And thank you for having me. You guys are amazing. We hope you have enjoyed Healing the Tigress in our conversations on maternal mental health in the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Please follow our show and our Instagram page to catch our latest episodes. We have so many fantastic guests and deep topics that we are so excited to cover soon. If you enjoyed this episode or would like to support us more, please leave us a rating or a review and share this podcast with a friend to spread the word. Check out the show notes for more links. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope these conversations will help our AAPI mothers heal their inner tigress and honor their mental health as they deserve to. See you next time.